Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 will be in verses 20 through 26. I believe the bulletin says 30 because that was my original intent this morning. But as the Lord would have it in preparation this week, we'll, we'll finish with verse 26 this morning. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. Let's pray together. Father, what we just sang is our prayer. Father, we, we want to behold our God this morning. We want our spiritual eyes to be fixed upon Christ. To see Him in all His splendor and value and worth. We want to see Christ as He is. We want to say with Paul in the text this morning, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, Father, that would be true of us. Oh, that that would be true of us. And Father, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes. That we may see wonderful things in your word. And Father, we pray this morning that your gospel come not simply with words, but also with power. Come in power, God, with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, be at work among us and with full conviction. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, we'll skip back a couple of verses to regain the thought that we had from last week. So dipping back into the second half of verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will, even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life, or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. The aim this morning is simple. We pray that God's Word would encourage every believer to live a Christ-exalting life. It's, it's our desire that you live a Christ-exalting life. And I believe in the text this morning that we'll see that. The goal, according to Paul, is that Christ will be exalted in our bodies, whether by life or by death. Look briefly at verse 20 to see the wording very carefully. 
that Paul would not be ashamed at any point in the midst of his circumstances. It was his sincere hope that he would not fade in his courage to stand firm for the gospel. According, Paul says, to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The first thing that I want us to see this morning, before we dig into that very rich verse, verse 21, before we dig into verse 21, I want us to see a couple of things. One, that Paul was expecting godly boldness. Paul was expecting in his own life, Boldness, but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body. With boldness, with courage, with steadfastness, Paul will now, presently, exalt Christ in his body as he had in times past. Since Paul's conversion, he had not shrunk back from any form of persecution for the cause of Christ. And he earnestly expected to remain bold in the circumstance that he was in. Paul's hope was not in his own determination. But according to verse 19. The powerful prayers of the saints and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's hope was in two cooperating forces. The prayers of the saints and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. I want us to see a couple of things directly from the text. There is an inseparable tie between the prayers of the saints and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This should encourage us to be a people of prayer. That when the saints pray, the provision of God's Spirit accompanies those prayers. This should encourage us. Do we want God's Spirit to be at work among us? Do we want God's Spirit to be at work among us? Well, I think that every one of us would naturally respond, yes, of course, of course we want God's Spirit to be at work among us. Well, then the second question is, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pray for God's Spirit to be at work among us? See, Paul's hope, his earnest expectation and hope, we're bound to two things. The prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence that Christ would be exalted in his life was based on what we read in verse 19. He says, for I know this, what? That this will turn out for my deliverance. We looked at the word last week, deliverance. The word deliverance there in the verse literally means salvation. And so Paul is saying he's sure of his salvation. He knows of his salvation because of what? Through the prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And it's his earnest expectation and hope. That because of the salvation that he rests in, that he will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in his body. There is great faith that Paul has here. That because God has delivered Paul, 
God will also supply Paul with the strength to exalt Christ in his current circumstance. Paul's not guaranteeing us in this verse that he'll be delivered from prison, though it is a possibility in his mind. What Paul is saying is, I've been saved either way. We talked about this last week. Whether I'm delivered physically or not, I have been saved. But the second thing that I want us to see this morning is not just the boldness that Paul had based on his salvation, based on the prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But I also want us to see the terminology that Paul uses in verse 20 that's our launching pad for this week. He says that Christ will be exalted in my body. The text implies that our bodies are to be used as instruments of the living God. So the second thing that I want us to see is we should be with Paul expecting godly boldness in our life. And two, that we are to be godly instruments, that our bodies are for his use, but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted or magnified or glorified in my body. The phrase in my body says something different than in my words. Paul's not saying Christ will be exalted in my preaching or teaching. Though we know that Christ was exalted in the preaching and teaching of Paul. But in this specific verse, he's saying that he will be exalted in my body. The word body signifies something that I'm afraid our American Christianity doesn't allow us to read with fullness of meaning. Because we know so little of the import of circumstances like Paul's imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. We have very little understanding of what it means to be in in prison physically for the cause of Christ. So we don't read into verses like this, the persecution that Paul faced and the prospect of his death that was very real. We wrestle with in our minds whether it is all right to fear or tremble or even waver when called to make a confession for Christ. But this was very real to the church in Philippi. In fact, we find out later at the end of this chapter that Paul says, the conflict that I have, you you have with me. You're experiencing the same conflict. We do, at this very moment, have fellow saints across the globe being expelled from their families because they put their faith in Christ. Being stripped of every single possession that they own because they put their faith in Christ. Having their own children ripped from them because they have put their faith in Christ. Or as a child, being ripped from your family because you have put your faith in Christ. We have fellow saints who are imprisoned, who are physically beaten and even murdered and all that without batting an eye. And yet, we sit very comfortably in our red plastic chairs Sunday after Sunday, hearing the preached word. That's not sinful of us. But sometimes I'm afraid it keeps us from understanding the full import of God's word. So when they read the word body, they realize Paul was enduring what they knew full well was an equal reality for themselves. Now, my primary point is not that you have to come to grips this morning with the suffering 
of the saints across the globe, though I hope you do that. But the point this morning is, as a believer, when we know that we don't face such hardships, that we would be moved to prayer, and that we would be moved to plead with the Holy Spirit to help us understand such phrases as this, when Paul says that Christ would be exalted in my body, but that we will read Philippians 1.20 as Paul writes it. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible for us because we're American, because we live here in some level of comfortableness that we cannot understand God's Word. We're very capable. Paul viewed his body as an instrument to be used for the exaltation of Christ, whether by life or death. However, I do believe it is more difficult for us to grasp that. For us to legitimately say with Paul that Christ should be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, because death is not a threat to us. For the cause of Christ, Paul is a fitting example as a man who saw himself as nothing more than an instrument in the hands of God. Paul was an instrument of God. Think about this. Paul's body, his feet literally traveled hundreds of miles. The Bible tells us from Jerusalem round about as far as Illyricum, carrying the good news of Jesus Christ, his feet, his body were used for the sake of the gospel. His hands made tents by night so that he could preach by day. Paul's body was used for God's sake. We know that it's more than that. He was shipwrecked three times. He, was, he received 39 lashes. He was stoned. He was beaten. Paul's body was used for the sake of the gospel. What I want us to see this morning is that we... Two, with Paul, should long for our bodies to be used for the sake of the gospel. Now, what that looks like in Memphis, Tennessee, and whatever community you live in, whether it's Uptown, West Memphis, Marion, Millington, whatever. God's calling us, with Paul, for our bodies to be used as instruments for his sake. Whatever that means. What I know it does not mean is this. It does not mean that we go to great lengths to see to it that we're comfortable at all levels. God has not called us to that. He has never called any Christian at any time, at any place, to that. He's called us to use our bodies as His instruments. Paul continues this elsewhere in his letters, this theme of being used up for the sake of the gospel. Specifically in the church of Rome, he writes, Romans 6.13. And I do not go on presenting the members of my body, or he's asking them, to your body as sins, excuse me, to be, let me rephrase that. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present Yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. 
So here's what we know. One, that Paul was willing for his body to be used, whether by life or by death, for the sake of the gospel. Then he writes to the church in Rome, don't let your body continue in sin, but what? To present your members as instruments of righteousness. Well, there's no threat of death in Romans 6.13. What he's saying is, use your body for righteousness. But Paul continues in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and he says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What Paul is trying to communicate is that our bodies are to be used for righteousness, for the sake of the gospel. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that this is worship to God. This is worship to God. We must read today's text with the full force of Paul's intent. So when he says, yes, I will rejoice, it means he takes great joy. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now as always, be exalted in my body. What Paul wanted was for Christ to be exalted in his body. Paul, by faith, fully expected his body to be used for the exaltation of Christ, whether by life or by death. So that brings us into today's text. Philippians chapter 1, look with me in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The two main points of our sermon this morning sit right there. To live is Christ, number one. Number two, to die is gain. There's a shift in the text between verses 20 and 21, that I want us to see. In verse 20, Paul's concern is that Christ would be exalted, glorified or magnified in his body. But in verse 21, Paul begins to examine the two possibilities of life or death. Paul says, I want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And in verse 21, he begins to look at the two options. Christ being Exalted in his life and Christ being exalted in his death. Let's look at the first possibility together now. Living is Christ. To live is Christ. Living is Christ. For to me, those first three words of verse 21, denote that this is a very personal statement that Paul is making here. Those words are important. This subject, the subject of Christ, is very personal to Paul. He takes very serious the subject of Christ. But what does Paul mean to live as Christ? Now, let me, let me say on the very front end, before we just dive into this, it's with much trembling this morning, with a, uh, an overwhelming sense of inadequacy that, I want us this morning together to try to begin to mind the depths of 
Philippians 1.21. What does Paul mean to live as Christ? Well, simply put, and it's not a simple thing, but simply put, Paul means his whole life is about the faithful proclamation of Christ. His whole life is about, is about the faithful proclamation of Christ. Preaching Christ as the crucified and risen Lord is Paul's only concern in life. Now think about that. Paul's only concern. His only concern is to preach Christ. No other competing concerns. If one is living and breathing in Paul's mind and is a believer, then he must be living and breathing for the cause of the gospel. If God has saved you, then Paul fully expects every believer to say what he just said. To live is Christ. This mindset is seen throughout the Pauline epistles. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, it's already been quoted once this morning. Paul says, For I determined to know nothing while among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was determined. He was resolved to know one thing. Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified. Life is all about the person and work of Christ. Jesus was... Paul's life. Listen to me, believer. We are not different than Paul in this respect. Paul is unique. He was an apostle. He was God's chosen one to take the gospel to the Gentiles in the New Testament church, the early New Testament church. He was a forerunner. We don't have the privilege of living in those days. God has not called us to be an apostle as he called Paul. But what God has called us to be is the same thing that Paul says he was called to be. And that was a man whose life was Christ. The gospel of Jesus was what his life was all about. Every day Paul woke up from sleep, every day that Paul was allowed to breathe again, he began doing the very thing that he did every single day. He took advantage, full advantage of every opportunity to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around him. That's what Paul did. There's a familiar verse that many of you could finish as I begin to quote. That runs along these same lines from Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In fact, when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, it was no longer Paul living, but the life of Christ in Paul. His life was no longer His own. We've already established this fact in Philippians when Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. I'm a slave to Christ. I am owned by Christ. 
His life was no longer his own. He was a slave in Christ, a slave to Christ, a slave for Christ. This was Paul's view of life. Did you catch the wording in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20? When Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen to me. I'm talking a lot of right I'm talking a lot right now about Paul's statement for to me to live is Christ. But I want us to understand something that faith is necessary to Christ living in you. Faith is necessary for for Christ to live in you. You can't to live is Christ until the life of Christ is in you. If Christ is not in you, dear listener, then this language that Paul uses that I'm preaching on this morning is very foreign to your ears. This to live as Christ talk is strange. It's probably even confusing. If Christ is not in you, then you can't say with Paul, for to me, to live as Christ. For one, you don't have that desire. But secondly, it's impossible for that to be true. Unless you, by faith, trust in the work of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Have you heard this gospel that Paul's life was all about? Do you believe in the true gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm almost certain, with as many as we have in the room this morning, that there's some among us who are not believers who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so as you listen to me talk about to live as Christ, it's all nonsense. It's foolishness. It's a waste of your time. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know that Jesus left the glory that He had with the Father from all eternity and came down into the world to provide a salvation. That He took our nature upon himself and was born as a man. And as a man, he did the will of God perfectly without sin, which we all had left undone. And as a man, he suffered on the cross, the wrath of God, which we should have suffered. And he brought in an everlasting righteousness for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the broken law we prayed about this morning. And he opened up a way for all sin to be forgiven. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He died for our sins. Through his death, our sin has been replaced with his righteousness. He rose again for our justification. So that when we stand before God, God doesn't see sinful man, but he sees the righteousness of his son. But Christ didn't finish there. He ascended to God's right hand. And there he sat down. Interceding for all who believe in him. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know that. But Paul did. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that. We know that you must believe this all to be true. 
You must, by faith, put all your hope in this salvation that Jesus has provided. This is the gospel that Paul not only believed, but this is the gospel that he not only preached, but this is the gospel that Paul lived. Yes, he believed it. Yes, he preached it. But listen to me, even more important than those two things, he lived it. Paul lived this gospel. Are you living to exalt Christ? Is that what life's all about? I've been saying some of the same things every week, and that's okay because Paul keeps saying the same things, which means God's wanting to hear the same things. Are you living to exalt Christ? There's so many competing demands on our lives. What are you living for? Are you living for your marriage? Are you living for your career? Are you living for fill in the blank? Whatever has your attention. Or are you living to exalt Christ? Yes, Paul knew this kind of living that he lived would exalt Christ in his body. He says, but that with all boldness, Christ will. That means in the future, even now, that's present. As always, that's past. Be exalted in my body. But Paul also knew this kind of living would do more than just exalt Christ. Paul knew that it would strengthen the other believers. Paul was living to exalt Christ. But in his living to exalt Christ, he was also strengthening the other believers. Let's continue in the text this morning. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we haven't forgotten about the second half of that verse, to die is gain. We're coming back to that. But what we want to focus on right now is living is Christ. Paul's living strengthened the church. He says this in verse 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. What does the prospect of continuing to live look like in Paul's mind? Remember, this is God's word to us. The way that Paul strengthened the church was by continuing to live on. It meant more fruitful labor for Paul. That's all he knew. His labors for Christ were all fruitful. Continuing to live as a means of. Of strengthening for the church. Continuing to live means fruitful labor to Paul. Now though Paul was a mere man. I already mentioned. Let's let's make a clear note of his uniqueness. For the task that he was assigned by God. On his road on the road to Damascus. God meets Paul there. Paul was at that point. Vehemently opposed to Christ. He was a persecutor of the Christians. He probably had. Blood on his hands on more than one occasion. Paul was an enemy of God. But God gets him on the road to Damascus. And Paul is assigned by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He's made an apostle. This is clear in Paul's introduction to other letters that he's written. Paul was uniquely designed by God to build up the early New Testament church. 
Now make certain that God is not bound by a single man to bring about or to accomplish his good purposes. But God did himself ordain Paul for this purpose. And he has ordained those throughout time to the preaching of the gospel. And God has ordained that through the preaching of the gospel by men that his church would be established, built, and sustained. God's not bound to any man. There's no man on this earth that God has to have preach. But it is God's ordained way of communicating himself to mankind through preaching by men. The prosperity of the church is not bound by men, but by the preaching of Christ through God-appointed men. And it is true that God has set aside some to be apostles, as Paul says. Some to be preachers or teachers, pastors. Some to be evangelists. God does set aside men to such callings. But let me make really clear something that Paul's communicating to us this morning. He's writing to the entire church in Philippi when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That means members of a church. That means believers in Philippi. And so when he says that if I'm to live on, this will mean fruitful labor for me. That communicates to the church that if they are to live on, if God is to grant them another day of life, that it should too mean fruitful labor for them. So let me ask some more questions for us to think through. Do you see your life as an opportunity for fruitful labor? Is that how you view your life? My life is for the fruitful labor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does fruitful labor look like for the stay-at-home mom? What does fruitful labor look like for you in your workplace? What does fruitful labor look like for the newborn Christian? I believe the rest of the text gives us some insight into what fruitful labor looks like in all these settings for any believer. I want us to see what this fruitful labor looked like specifically. How would Paul strengthen the church? Paul's continuing to live meant this for the church in Philippi. Let's look at the rest of the text again together. He says in verse 22, But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Now listen to what he says. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. It was necessary for the church of Philippi that Paul would continue in the flesh. What's it look like? What does this look like to the church of Philippi? He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. I see three things that Paul's living on meant for the church in Philippi. What the fruitful, fruitful labor looked like. Number one, it 
It looked like the spiritual progress of the Philippians. It was it meant spiritual progress for the Philippians. Secondly, it meant increased joy for the Philippians. And thirdly, it meant that God would be glorified by the Philippians. Our life becomes fruitful when we are being spent for the spiritual progress of others. I hope you feel the corporate weight of these verses. Listen again to verse 25. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all. This is body life language. This is what church life looks like. You cannot, in any form of your imagination, conceive being a Christian and not being connected to a local body of believers. If you are not connected to a body of local believers, how could you possibly obey what we see laid out for us in Philippians chapter 1? For the progress and joy in the faith of others. How could you possibly be that? How could you possibly invest in other people for their progress if you're not connected to those other people in a local church? It's impossible. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can be disconnected from the body of believers and be for their progress, their spiritual progress. And more importantly, I would say, your own spiritual progress. Paul's remaining in the flesh would mean a greater strengthening of the church. Do you see the evidence of this in verse 25 and 26? Do you see the evidence of the three-way bond of love that we established in the overview week of the book? That Paul has this insatiable love for the people of Philippi. And he recognized that the people of Philippi in a unique way, in, in ways that other churches that he helped establish didn't have. They had a love for him. But it wasn't just this two-way love. There's a third party. And it's God. Paul didn't just love the Philippians. He loved them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he cared most about was Christ in them. And what they cared most about in Paul was Christ in Paul. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Yes, there's spiritual progress, but it's also their joy. Paul took great joy. That's, the, that's one of the themes that we can't get away from in Philippians. In fact, we, we, we looked at it this morning. He says, yes, I will rejoice for all this. For what? For the opportunity to see you progress in the faith spiritually. It's Paul's joy. But I want us to see verse 26 because I think it's the, the clearest evidence that Paul's remaining on would lead to the strengthening of the church. Verse 26, so that your proud confidence in me, it sounds like they have a lot of confidence in Paul. They're proud of him. But listen to what he says. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. Whatever confidence that you have in me is what Paul's saying. I'm, he's praying that it would abound in Christ Jesus, that they would see what Christ has done in Paul, and they would forget about Paul and look to Christ and revel in glory in what Christ had done. And so it's, it's that it is horizontal as they look from themselves to Paul, 
But as soon as they see Paul, it just shoots vertically. That it may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. The relationship that Paul has with the church in Philippi only leads to a confidence that abounds in Christ Jesus. That glories in Christ. The Philippians had grounds for glorying in Christ through the life of Paul. He had been a blessing to them. Therefore, they thanked the Lord for him. I pray that there's a similar such boasting in Christ for one another here at Grace Church. Can we look at one another and yes, be thankful for them, but that calls us to enter into worship with Christ. When I look at you and when you look at me, are, are we turned from this horizontal relationship to the vertical relationship that Paul shared with the Philippians that pointed to Christ? Are you boasting in Christ for the Christ-exalting life of your fellow church members? Dear saints, living life is about Christ and His gospel. And we should see that in one another. We should encourage that in one another. We should strive to see the spiritual progression of one another. We should see that we are increasing in joy for Christ for one another. Pray that it's true. But Paul was faced with a real dilemma in our text this morning. Living for Christ or dying and being with Christ. Let's go back to verse 21 for a minute. There's a tension of living and dying. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Listen to Paul's wording here. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions. Paul was put between a rock and a hard place. He desired more than anything to die and be with Christ. But living on in the flesh was more necessary for the church in Philippi. The picture here is one of two sides pressing in on Paul, squeezing him. His dilemma is not one of his own doing, nor has he been given the choice between the two. And I know he says, I do not know which to choose because he didn't know which one to choose. He didn't. But the, the reality is, God was choosing for him whether he would continue in this life or whether he would die and depart and be with Christ. The idea is that any true believer, like Paul, should be struck with the dilemma and that we should long for both. Indeed, we should do both. But Paul's language here is not about which to choose. His language here is painting for us a picture, a clear picture of the struggle in his heart to both live a Christ-exalting life for the sake of the Philippians or to die and be with Christ. As much as Paul valued the privilege to live for the exaltation of Christ, and the spiritual progression of the church, Paul had Christ in his view. He had Christ in his view. It's what caused him to live the way he lived. But because he had Christ in his view, there was a difference between living and dying. There's a difference in Paul's life. And there was a shift 
from living for Christ to being with Christ. There's a difference in living to know Christ in part and dying and knowing Christ fully. So the other major point that we can't avoid right there in the text is to die is gain. Death is gain for the believer. In what way was death gain for Paul? And in what way is death gain for us? How is this the case? Well, I want you to see two things really quick. One is that Paul had assurance of salvation. I want you to see that Paul is sure of his salvation in Christ. When he says back in verse 18 and 19, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. That's his salvation, my salvation through your prayers and the provision of spirit, excuse me, the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. We established last week that the word used in verse 19 for deliverance was the Greek word soteria, which means salvation. Paul is saying whether I live or die is no matter for either way I've been and will be saved, saved from the hands of his earthly enemies, maybe through his physical deliverance, but more importantly, that he was saved from sin and self through the faith, through faith in Christ. Paul continues to speak with such confidence when he states to die is gain, assuming that he will be with Christ in heaven upon the day of his death. But I want us to zero in on what Paul says in verse 23 as the real gain of his death. Yes, he had assurance of salvation. But what I want us to zero in is what he says in verse 23. But I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Now notice, the verse does not read, having the desire to depart from this life to see the pearly gates and streets of gold. That's not what he says. He doesn't say that he has the desire to depart from this life and live in a mansion in heaven. It's not what he says. He doesn't say having the desire to depart from this life to be without pain or to be done with this miserable life. He does not say having the desire to depart from this life to be with my deceased family members. Paul doesn't say any of those things, though all those things will be true. God's word says to depart and be with Christ. The great reward of living a Christ exalting life is that death means being with Christ. Death is being with Christ. Have you ever thought so fondly of death? That's what Paul thinks of. He doesn't have. He it's not a process in his mind where he thinks about death and it may come by this form. I may be beheaded. I may be stoned. I may be tortured. And if that happens, it's going to be painful. And eventually, when I do come to my dying days, then I get to go to heaven. And oh, yeah, when I'm in heaven, I'm going to see Christ there. For Paul, it is the prospect of death is being with Christ. It's an instantaneous thought in his mind. Yes, Paul was ready to get rid of sin and sorrow and suffering and to have all the faculties of his, of his soul perfected. But his desire was to be with Christ, to behold Christ in all his glory, to join with the hosts of heaven in songs of joy and triumph. That's what Paul had in mind. 
He was ready to worship God forever without hindrance. The phrase to be with Christ that Paul uses here in Philippians 1.23 appears only one time in the New Testament. It's right here. Though there's similar terminology in other books, this is the only time he uses these words. To depart and be with Christ. Being with Christ indicates fellowship with Christ. It speaks of a communion with God so sweet that the genuine believer has no resistance to such a prospect. Listen to me. Paul wasn't choosing whether he lived or died. He so wanted to die that the only way he would continue to live is if God made him continue to live. If the prospect of dying is not sweet to you, then your eyes could not possibly be fixed on Jesus. Paul's eyes were fixed on Christ. If death doesn't sound good to you right now, you're not looking at Jesus. You've forgotten what He's done. You've forgotten who He is. You've been smitten by something of lesser value. It seems so blasphemous even now to suggest that this world created by God has anything that we could possibly desire more than Him. Dear listeners, Christ is of supreme value, of supreme worth. His splendor, His beauty surpass anything that we know. Paul says this later in Philippians chapter 3, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul hadn't got there yet, but he wanted to. Christ is our greatest treasure. And according to today's text in Philippians 1.23, we can be with Christ. Worship with me as we meditate on being with Christ through the Scriptures. Colossians 2.13 When you were dead in your transgressions, and the, uns- and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Christ made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Romans eight thirty two, He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? First Thessalonians 417. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Second Corinthians 414. Knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. And then Colossians 3, 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden 
with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The bottom line is to die is to be with Christ for the believer. Paul is worshiping God in Christ as he contemplates the grand thought of being with Christ because Christ is the goal of Paul's life. Is your greatest desire to be with Christ? Does it trump all your desires in this world? For to me, to die is gain. Because to die is to be with Christ. Let's finish with this. A series of questions maybe for us to apply. To answer honestly before God. Is the prospect of being with Christ of more value to you than all this world has to offer? Is Christ being exalted in your life through fruitful corporate labor a desire of your heart? Are you right now being used as an instrument by God for the progress and joy of others? Is Christ your life? And are you ready to die? Let's pray. Father, we we come to you in humility, with trembling. As we think about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Father, I plead with You that You would make it true of me, that You would make it true of this body of believers for every believer that's in this room this morning. That we could say with Paul, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.